Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Good morning, everyone. If you're a visitor here, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. I'm Pastor Scott. Thrilled to open up God's Word here with you this morning. We're going to continue in our series in the book of First. John. So if you could take your paper copy of your Bible or your electronic copy of your Bible and open up with me to 1 John, I'd love for you to see these words for yourself, not just take what I'm saying for granted, but to see God's word for yourself. 1 John chapter 2, and we will start in verse 18. 1 John 2, 18. And as we read God's word together, why don't we stand? 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It says this. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Right to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you heard from the beginning abide in you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of God. Please be seated. So as we're going through the book of 1 John, 1 John is really um, one of the books of the Bible that really powerfully lays out for us what authentic Christianity is. And as the Apostle John goes through his letter, very importantly, in the year 80, 85 AD, he's noticing that these different uh, variations of Christianity are starting to sprout up that aren't really following the teachings of Christ or the teachings of the apostles. They're like these little variations of Christianity that were starting to pop up. And so the apostle John, the, the beloved John, sees the need to write this letter to just set the record straight, to let that early church know this is what genuine Christianity is, but also what it isn't. So appropriate for the day and age that we live in. How important is it for you to be able to identify something as false? As false. Okay, so like you're watching TV 
and this guy claims that this product can make anything float. Have you seen that commercial? <laughs> you know, the guy that's like spraying black spray paint on something and he's floating his house in the middle of a lake. You know, maybe you, maybe you bought that. We won't ask for a show of hands, but maybe you bought that thinking it would just make anything float. Or you're watching the commercial that says, you know, if you take this one pill, your belly fat will be gone overnight, right? Just that, that one pill. And you're like, sign me up, sign me up. But you realize, well, that's not really accurate. That's, that's not really true. How important is it for you to identify things as false? How important is it for you to be able to identify not just things you see on TV, but doctrine, teaching, even from the scripture, as false. You know, the day and age that we live in, you know, the marketing you see on TV that mixes truth with error is a lot like the doctrine that you'll receive today that is not true. It's a little bit of truth with error. And it can come subtly. And sometimes with some of the things you see on television and that sort of thing, maybe not so subtly, but sometimes it can be very subtle where they start to ask subtle questions about God and his word, about the place of Christ in human history. They start placing doubts in your minds about the goodness and the character of God. Not new questions, right? <laughs> new questions that have been asked since the Garden of Eden, right? Where Satan was asking those very questions to Eve, but over the generations and over time, the same questions emerge. It's the same questions over the millennia. It's the same questions that just get rephrased and said a different way with a different emphasis. But it's the same questions that character, that question the character of who God is. And as we see here in the text today, his son. The Christian, the Christian has to be aware that doctrinal deception really is all around us. There is a lot of false teaching in America today that gets propagated all over the world due to the platform that this country has. But check out what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. You see it right there on the screen. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 7, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cast down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus said you have to be aware of the fact that there are false prophets out there that look like sheep, but they're actually ravenous wolves. Paul went on to say this in 1 Timothy 1. He said this, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to preach any other doctrine. Simply the apostolic doctrine, the, the, the doctrine of the apostles, the doctrine of Christ is what the apostles urged the churches to remain in. In 1 Timothy 1, it wasn't even so much, it wasn't enough for Paul to say, be aware of false gospels. 
he actually calls out the false teachers. He says this, I char- this I charge and entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Not the first time that Paul would call out by name a false teacher. Why is this? Because the preservation of the gospel is not something to be taken lightly. In fact, even as you look at the, at the letter to the Galatians, just one little shift to the gospel resulted in the book of Galatians. That's how important it was to the apostles. In fact, Paul said this to the Galatians, I am astonished that you so quickly desert the one who called you by the grace of Christ that are following a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel, but that there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we've preached to you, let him be condemned to hell. As we've said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be condemned to hell. Tough words, right? Harsh words. Necessary words. Maybe for some of you, you didn't even realize that a passage like that is in the scripture where an apostle of Christ would say, this is so important. Your very eternal destination rests on getting the gospel right. You gotta get it right. And so when false teachers started to espouse a false gospel, the apostle John laid out what are false teachers like and how do you know them? It's very relevant, very pertinent for us couple characteristics I think we can see from this passage relating to how we can identify false teachers. First, a false teacher proclaiming false doctrine resists Christian community. If you're taking notes, just jot that down. Resists Christian community. All right, so if you've got a teaching guide in 1 John, I would encourage you to just to write that down. I'd help you remember it and remember it later in the week. Resist Christian community. Where do we see that? Let's read verses 18 and 19 again. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, and so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Plain and simple. John is saying this that those who were in Christianity and left Christianity were never an authentic part of Christianity to begin with. They were never the real deal. The ones who looked the part and talked the part and acted the part and showed up on Sunday doing the part, but left Christianity ultimately were never the real deal to begin with. 
couple phrases here that kind of help us better understand what John is saying. Verse 18, where it says, children, it's the last hour. It's the last hour. Now, you might be saying, well, hold up a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago. How could this be the last hour? And Pastor Justin and both Pastor Phil have hit on this a little bit. Let's just refresh. Last hour is another way to think about last time frame, last period, last era of human history as we know it. Meaning this, that it's the period that we're living in now is the final period where Christ came the first time. We're waiting for Christ to come the second time. When Christ comes the second time, he never leaves. That's it. And we're in that final period right now where we're awaiting the return of Christ. All right? So that's what John is talking about here about the last hour. We're waiting for the kingdom of Christ to come and some other events that precede the coming of the kingdom. Interesting to note, though, too, in verse 18, the phrase antichrists. Okay, you see that phrase there, verse 18. Um, you've heard that antichrist is coming, and so now many antichrists have come. So many of your Bibles would show a capital A for antichrist and then a lowercase a for antichrists. So what Paul is saying is we know the Antichrist is coming, which would be uh, the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness that Paul talks about, uh, the one who commits the abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 and 25, uh, Daniel chapter 9. This is the coming Antichrist who appears during the tribulation period with great deception. But John here also talks about the fact that there are many Antichrists that are coming in the final period, the final time. It means this, that when Christ came, there came the opportunity for Satan to deceive in a greater way, with greater deception, to espouse different types of Christ uh, or different types of followers of Christ. That opportunity for deception really didn't precede Christ because we didn't know who Jesus was. But when Jesus came, it provided an opportunity for antichrists deceivers, and then ultimately the Antichrist. So John is saying there are many Antichrists, plural, that are in the world today as we're waiting the final Antichrist who's coming during the tribulation period. This interesting phrase here, they went out from us. They went out from us. John, who's us? The church our community, our Christian fellowship. These false teachers were a part of the Christian fellowship that John and the other believers were a part of because they embraced and taught a false Christianity. They revealed their true colors and pivoted to a life outside of genuine Christian community. This is the case eventually with almost every false teacher, that they leave orthodoxy, they leave the doctrinal traditions and standards that were handed down to us by the apostles for another gospel, for a false gospel. And just by them espousing their teaching and living their lives the way that they do, eventually it becomes obvious that that's what they embrace. It shows their true colors. Now, importantly, just so you're not confused on this, this does not mean that if you leave 
a local church to go join another local church, which sometimes happens, that you're a deserter of Christianity. Okay, that's not what John is saying here, that they went out from us because they were never part of us. They were never Christians. That is not what um, John is saying, and hopefully no church would espouse that view. This isn't talking about leaving a church. This is talking about leaving Christianity. Leaving Christianity makes you a deserter of Christianity. And it proves your true colors. The true believer in Christ perseveres in the Christian faith. How do we know that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, one verse among many that talk about this, Hebrews 3, verse 14 says this, for we have come to share in Christ, if what? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm for a few years, for a few decades, to the end. We have come to share Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, does that mean perfection? Absolutely not. Otherwise, we would all be toast. Every one of us, every one of us, maybe not Pastor Phil. Kim? Yeah, okay. Kim, <laughs> Kim would be toast, maybe not Phil. Um, what this, what this means is, is that the direction of your life points towards the fact that Christ is the Lord of your life. Which is going to mean ups and downs. It's like this. It's like the trajectory of your becoming like Christ looks like this on a graph. All right, Looks like this. It's straight up. When you're looking at it over the course of like 40 years, it is like a rocket. But when you zoom in on like... You know, January of 2018 or whatever the month might be where you were like, not doing so hot between you and Jesus. If you were to zoom in, you'd probably see a lot of this. Like, man, it's not going well. That's normal. That's, we're, we're here on earth. We're in the flesh. We battle against things all the time. We're not talking about sinlessness here. We're all sinning every day. <laughs> We're all sinning every day. But the, the trajectory of the true believer's life is, you know, over the course of my life, I'm a Christ follower. I follow Christ. I live my life for Jesus. John Calvin said this, future and final perseverance is the ultimate test of past participation in Christ. The ultimate test of your genuineness as a Christian is if you genuinely stay in the faith. All right? You got to stay in the faith. You got to be in it for the long haul. Just like me as a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. This is a, a glorious jersey. Jersey of the Toronto Maple Leafs. One of the greatest players, Austin Matthews. Um, the Leafs have not won a playoff series in 18 years. I just got this jersey, um, thinking maybe this would be enough to nudge them further into the playoffs. It wasn't. It wasn't. Now, if I did something dreadful and doused this in gasoline and lit it on fire, if I saw someone do that, I would say to that guy that's lighting his leaf jersey on fire, dude, 
No true Leaf fan would ever do that. You would never do that. When you're a Leaf fan, even though it's pain and agony every year of your life, you would never do that. If someone saw me light this jersey on fire, even some pagan living up in Toronto, <laughs> if you're watching, I don't really mean that. Even if, even if you're just some regular dude, you, that guy would have to say to me, he's not a real Leaf fan. No true Leaf fan would do that. No true follower of Christ abandons Christianity. You can't. You can't abandon Christianity. It's impossible for the child of God because your eternal security is secure and you're locked into Christ's hand with, this, with the Father's hand sealed around you with the Holy Spirit of promise. You can't get unsaved and leave the faith. It's not possible. That's good. That's, that's great news for sinners like all of us. But if you can intentionally walk away and leave and say, I'm done, you'd really have to call into question whether or not you truly are a believer. It's like one of my mentors used to say, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck and smells like a duck and looks like a duck, quit calling it a backslidden sheep, call it a duck. And maybe for some of you, that's a bit of a wake-up call, as it should be. The reality of your faith is seen in your actions. A false teacher proclaiming false doctrine resists Christian community. He leaves the Christian community. He abandons the Christian community. He would consider himself no longer a part of the Christian community. They were a part of us, but they went out from us because they were never a part of us. Because if they had have been a part of us, they never would have left, is what John is saying. Number two, a false teacher proclaiming false doctrine denies core doctrine. Denies core doctrine. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth, verse 22, who is the liar but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son is the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. The specific truth that was being denied by these false teachers was that Jesus, as he is presented in the Gospels and by the apostles, truly was the Christ. They were denying the fact that Jesus was, was the sent one from God, God in the very flesh. That's what they were, they were denying. Several false doctrines surrounding Christ in, in the first century was taking place. Some groups were saying that Jesus appeared as a man, looked like a man, but was not truly a man. Some groups were proclaiming that Jesus was indeed a man, but not truly God. Both perspectives were not based on the truth that Jesus said about himself, nor the apostles. In fact, the apostles are clear, the scriptures are clear. The scriptures say that a woman gave birth to Jesus. Galatians 4.4. He had human DNA just like the rest of us. A true man, 
a true man just like you and I. But Galatians 4.4 also points out the fact that this man did not have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father. This man born of a woman had no earthly father. He had a heavenly supernatural father. That is the doctrine of who Christ is. 100% man, 100% God. His father is God the father in a way that no other human can claim. His father is God the father in a way that no other human can claim. John's point was that to deny the sonship of Christ would be to deny the fatherhood of the father. To deny the sonship of Christ would be to deny the fatherhood of the father. If he's not the son, you can't have a father. If he's not the father, where's the son? The two are linked together. The two concepts are inseparable. You can't have a son without a father. You can't have a father without a son. And in a very real sense, this is the watershed doctrine, who Jesus is of all false, false doctrines. Who Jesus is in his role in your life really is the watershed of all false doctrines. Simply put, you cannot have Christianity without Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, 100% God, 100% man. That is what makes Christianity unique. No other religion can claim that about their, their founder. And no other founder of any other religion would claim, I'm 100% man and 100% God. Sure, there are disagreements among Christians about, about lots of teachings and doctrines, for sure. There's lots of disagreement, um, but there are no disagreements on the core doctrines. And the core doctrines, we have to be in lockstep. Warren Wearsby said this, there are many unfortunate divisions among the people of God today, but all true Christians have things in common regardless of church affiliation. They believe that the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus is the son of God. They confess that men are sinners and that the only way one can be saved is through faith in Christ. They believe that Christ died as man substituted on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, they believe that the Holy Spirit indwells true believers. Finally, they believe that one day in the future, Jesus will come again. Christians may differ on other matters, church governments, modes of baptism, but they agree on the basic doctrines of the faith. Satan would love nothing more than to distract believers from the core of their mission and get sidetracked by all types of things, to distract believers from the core doctrines of the faith. If you look at the church over the last few years, boy, the church has gotten really distracted with lots of different things in our American culture today, haven't they? Our church has become very distracted. The church in Western culture has become very distracted with lots of things other than evangelism and discipleship. The two things that Jesus has called us to primarily. Understanding core doctrine and defending core doctrine should be the pressing need of believers today. But is it? You know, there are many false teachers in America today that would say, even on their websites, because I checked one of them this week, they would say even on their website things like they hold to the core doctrines. But they don't preach the core doctrines. And in fact, what they say often contradicts what their doctrinal, doctrinal statement says they believe. 
Some false teachers in America today, when you go to their website and you, and you look at what they say they hold to, but what they actually preach, not even on the same page. Not the same thing. Someone that does not teach that Jesus is the only way to God is a false teacher. Some of the downplays, the role of Jesus in our salvation is a false teacher. Some of the teaches you can work your way to heaven is a false teacher. Some of the teaches that God's word cannot be trusted is a false teacher. A simple way to identify a false teacher. How often do they preach on, praise, lift up God's son, Jesus Christ? I mean, you, you read or you look at, you skim some of the books of some of these false teachers that are in America today and just skim for a J count. How many times do you see the word Jesus in this book? How often do we discuss, how often do these false teachers discuss the fact that we are poor, wretched, miserable sinners apart from the grace of Christ? and his work on the cross. And without Christ, we are nothing. But with Christ, we are everything. Not the mansion, not the private jet, not the four million and the 401k, but with Christ, we have all that we need. False teacher proclaiming false doctrine resists Christian community, denies core doctrine, but also a false teacher proclaiming false doctrine rejects Christ-like character. Rejects Christ-like character. Look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who were trying to what? Deceive you. Deceive you. Deception. This is because the false teacher is not walking in the footsteps of Christ. This is because the false teacher is not filled with the Holy Spirit. This is because the false teacher is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Their goal is to deceive people. That's their goal, to dupe you into following their demonic schemes. Paul even said that Satan can be disguised as what? An angel of light. He can come appearing as something good, but his core is evil. It can look like it's nice. It can look like it's good. It can look like that I can buy into this, but its core has nothing to do with Christ or helping you become more like Christ. It's to buy into their deceptive pyramid scheme. The character and actions of the fruit that Jesus was referring to in Matthew 7 is so important. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Eventually they will bear fruit and you'll see it and you'll know it. If you aren't living for Christ, then who are you living for? You and your desires. These false teachers are not living for Christ. They're living for their own desires. And it manifests itself in the life of the false teachers. False teachers cannot hide their desires for sensuality and greed. They can't hide it. How do we know that? Check what Peter said. Peter said this in 2 Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2, many will follow their 
sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, sensuality, greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation is from long ago. It's not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter said that. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine or does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. Imagine that godliness is a means of gain. That if I continue in this particular vein of ministry, if I continue to preach this false prosperity gospel that I too will be rewarded here on earth with millions of dollars. In a lot of situations, that is exactly what has happened. Church, if you believe your best life is now, you're clearly not interested in helping people get to the next life, which is far greater than this one. False teachers and their followers only teach pleasant things. They only teach the things that allows them to amount the masses, to get more people in their church, to not teach the full truth of the scriptures, that Christ died on a cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, and you can only have hope and sufficiency in putting your faith, your trust, your hope in Jesus. That's it. Your only hope is found in Christ. And his sufficiency. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4, the time is coming and when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they would accumulate for themselves teachers to suit what? Their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So as long as you keep telling me what I want to hear, how I want to hear it, when I want to hear it, and as long as it makes me feel good, I'll keep coming to the biggest church in America. The minute you start preaching the fact that your sin separates you from a holy God and that you are born the enemy of God and you can have no reconciliation with God in and of yourself, that you need Jesus to save you. Once you start preaching that, I'm out of here. Many false teachers in America today have a goal of getting as much money as they can, achieving this by telling their listeners all the things they want to hear. All the things they want to hear that make them feel good about themselves and you're incredible and you're good and, and you know, if you just have enough faith, God's going to bless your life. And all this false doctrine, it's not based on Christ. It's not based on his word. So church, when you're listening to people, 
Even what's happening up here every Sunday, you have to listen very carefully. You have to have your Bible open, cross-checking like the Bereans, everything you're hearing, and cross-reference it with, is this the true gospel? That, that without Christ, I'm nothing. And only by his grace am I something. Very important. Thankfully, our teaching pastor, week in and week out, shares the truth of God's word in the gospel. Does he not? It's something we can praise God for. False teacher promoting false doctrine resists Christian community, denies core doctrine, rejects Christ-like character. Brothers and sisters, this is why being in Christian community is so important. That's why being here on a Sunday morning and worshiping with other believers and engaging with other believers and having intersection with other believers and rubbing shoulders with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, that is why we don't forsake the assembly together of ourselves. It's not because we've got nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. It's because what we do here and how we rub against each other is so important to Christianity. And even though occasionally from time to time you have to watch and you, and you gotta do a live stream and that sort of thing, you don't get on a TV what you get here in the body of Christ. You don't. Which is not to say that we're anti-live stream. We're not. We live stream. It's an important ministry. But man, if you're relying on the live stream exclusively for what you get in the body of Christ, it will not work. This is so important, church, for understanding core doctrine. You have got to be able to defend why you believe that Christ is the Son of God. You know, so if a couple of Mormon missionaries come knocking on your door tomorrow, on July the 4th, whoa, that would be a serious commitment. If they come knocking on your door tomorrow, Elder Frank and Elder Bob, white shirts, tie and all that, and they're saying, hey, we believe in Jesus. We think you might believe in the same Jesus we do. Can you clearly explain why your Jesus is a little different than theirs? Should be able to. You should be able to defend that. This is why living in submission to Christ and his word and being in the word and not allowing Sunday morning to be the only source of truth that you're getting in your life, meaning you should be feeding yourself all throughout the week. You should be digging into the word all throughout the week. You should be learning the word all throughout the week. You should be taking the time to memorize scripture and engrave it in your mind and get it on your heart. That's why these things are so important to maintain doctrinal purity and integrity. So is there something that we've discussed this morning that you think in your own life you might need to sharpen up on? Could be. Could we pause just for a moment? Could we bow our heads and let's just take a moment just to think about that?
where really are you at in your walk with Christ? Maybe you're seated here this morning and you know, I just go through the motions. I'm not a true Christ follower, I'm a church attender. Maybe you know that's you. Given the opportunity, you'd walk away from Christ as fast as you could. Would you repent and agree with God right now that you need Christ, that you are a sinner, and that the only way that you can have eternal life is by trusting in Christ and what he did for you on the cross? It's you. And if that is you, I would encourage you to talk to one of us this morning before you leave. Maybe there's other areas of life where you recognize I'm weak in an area of doctrine. I'm weak in what I believe about Christ. Brother or sister in Christ, I just want to encourage you, don't let that sit. Do something about that. Grow in your understanding of who Christ is and his grace in your life. Maybe right now you make a decision that says, I'm going to get into the word more. I'm going to study a bit more. I'm going to attend a Bible study in the fall to grow in my understanding of Christ. Maybe right now you'd make a decision like that between you and God. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you for making it so clear in your word how important it is to maintain doctrinal truth and not swerve from the core doctrines of Christianity. Lord, for our spiritual antenna to be up so that we are listening, we are discerning with accuracy the truth of the gospel. And Lord, if there's people in here that are uncertain about what they really believe about Christ, maybe they've been acting as Christians for a lot of their life. God, I pray they would not leave here this morning without talking to someone, finding out for sure whether or not they are a part of God's family. Would you do that, Lord, in their hearts? And Lord, any decision that was made this morning for growth or whatever, Lord, I pray that you would just um, make that decision firm in people's hearts, that they wouldn't just think about it and not do something about it as they leave here today, but give them, Lord, the strength to make these decisions a reality. I pray this in Jesus' name. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill. Hill.